Our gracious God in heaven, we do thank you for this Lord's Day. And as we are reminded by the rain that falls from the sky, that you indeed provide for us. You provide for us in so many ways. And we thank you today for the provision of your church. And we thank you that we, your people, can come together in this time and to look at the theology, the doctrines of your church. We pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may recall last week we, we made a distinction, and the distinction that we made uh, was between the invisible church and the visible church. And I drew your attention uh, to Westminster Confession chapter 25, which we're also going to stay in chapter 25 of the Confession today as well. Uh, But here's the distinction that the Westminster Assembly gives. The Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one, under Christ the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. And so, the invisible church, as described here, uh, is the universal, that is the Catholic Church, uh, that is of the elect past, present, and future. Distinct from that is the visible church. The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and their children, and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house of the family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. And again, yes. Well, they could be. They, they, they could be. So, for example, a great, actually, actually a great question, because that ties in, and we're not going to spend time on it today because we'll come to it later, but that would, a good example of that would be a baptized child of, of the covenant. So, yeah, so that's, you know, I mean, you think about it this way, and I've said this before, uh, you know, one, one of the key points of evangelism within the church is that our covenant children hear the gospel, and that at an age of understanding or discretion, that they would profess faith in Christ. Yeah. So, and and this point came up, I'll elaborate, not to your question, but elaborate on one of the things that came up uh, last week, um, which is really a distinction between um, the Reformed Church and Presbyterians and, for example, Baptists or many Congregationalists. Um, so, so Baptists believe that the visible church is made up of uh, only those who are truly redeemed, only those who are truly saved. And I don't know if this is the case to, today, uh, but I know when I was a child, um, there would be repeat baptisms. There'd be somebody that would make a profession of faith and get baptized, and then they would... Uh, I guess, fall away or something, and then they'd make a profession of faith again and be baptized. And, and again, I don't know if that's a practice today, but that's in keeping with the, the Baptist understanding of the visible church, and, and that is that it is, it is comprised only of 
true believers. Um, we do not believe that, nor has the Reformed Church ever believed that, not just Presbyterians, but going all the way back to the Synod of Dort, all the way back beyond that to Calvin, and the, the, the manifestation of the church coming out of that in the, in the Protestant Reformation. And the... the um, the Westminster Assembly deals with this in larger catechism question number 61, which I have a footnote for you on your notes. Larger catechism 61 says, asks, Are all they saved who hear the gospel and live in the church? Now the traditional congregationalist or Baptist understanding of that would be yes. But we believe that all that hear the gospel and live in the visible church are not saved. But they, on, but they only who are true members of the church invisible. And so the, the, the Westminster Assembly is going back and they're saying, really this issue of visible, or rather uh, what is the church comprised of, is dealt with best with these two different concepts of invisible and visible. And, and we would say to, to our, our Baptist brothers and sisters in Christ, we would say, we feel like that you're in, in error, that really what you're referring to and thinking of is the invisible church, which is comprised of only the elect. But as the church is visible within the earthly manifestation in this moment in, in time, uh, we understand that not all of those who are in the church are uh, true believers. And that could uh, involve those who have made a profession of faith but are truly not saved. It would be a, I think uh, Chris last week made the distinction between a profession versus a possession. You can profess faith in Christ, but you may not truly possess it. But also our, our covenant children. Uh, and we think about uh, a covenant child who is, is baptized into the church. And that's what an infant baptism does. It includes the, bat, the child within the visible church. But that child is not yet a believer. That church, uh, rather that child uh, at the earliest age of discretion we pray will make a profession of faith and in fact is required to make a profession of faith to remain in good standing. And so the other thing I want to draw to your attention is just that. In Larger Catechism, question number 62, it says, What is the visible church? And this is, again, your footnote two. The visible church is a society made up of all such as in all ages and places of the world do profess the true religion and of their children. And again, we're going to go into this in much greater depth when we get to the sacrament of baptism uh, and, and look at this in, in greater depth. So I'm sort of introducing it to you right here. But the reason I'm introducing it to you is so that you'll understand the necessity. That's, that's the study today. The necessity of the church. The church is uh, essential to our life in Christ here on earth. So... Where does that lead us to today? Well, what we're going to cover today is what is the, or starting today, is what is the ministry of the visible church? In other words, if the visible church consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house of the family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation, then what are we here to do? What is the ministry of the church? Look with me at uh, Westminster Confession, chapter 25, point 3. 
Unto this Catholic visible church, Christ hath given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world, and doth by His own preference and spirit, according to His promise, make them effectual thereunto. Now, there are a number of important clauses within uh, this statement, and you'll see that I've got also uh, Scripture references for us to consider uh, below in your notes. But let's just make sure that we understand what this is saying. Let's start, first of all, with the very first statement. Unto this Catholic visible church. Now, we stop there for just a second. Again, what does the word Catholic mean? Small c, not big c, right? It means universal. We understand now what is meant by visible, because that's defined in point 2 of chapter 25. And God has specifically given a ministry to this church. Now, pause here for just a second, because some of you may be wondering, before we get into what is the ministry of the church, you may say, well, what about the local church? How does the, the local church fit into this? Because this chapter, this point of this chapter, is only dealing with the universal church. Well, right. Yeah, yeah. So where does the local church, how are we to understand the local church as considered within this chapter? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you, you could hear Julie, but what she said is, is it's like the branches on the tree. Uh, you have the tree, but then on that tree you have different branches that branch out. And, and that's a great analogy of that. You'll hear me say, uh, not, uh, that's, a, that's a beautiful metaphor, probably better than the way I normally put it. I say the local church is the local manifestation of the universal church. Well, however you describe it, the point is this, is that there is only one church, one visible church as it is defined here. However, there are many local churches. And so we understand that as a branch of Christ, the head, and as a manifestation of the true church, then our requirement is to be faithful to what God has called us to do. In other words, we're not looking up to uh, a hierarchy. We're not looking to uh, someone somewhere to tell us what to do. We understand we as a local church, we are the church. And I'm not making that statement like um, our friends in the Church of Christ uh, make it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying we're the only church. Um, but, but we are the church. And there, are, there is confusion, and there has been uh, confusion, especially in evangelical history, uh, as to how things interrelate from an ecumenical standpoint and the universal church around the world and the local church. But a lot of that can be dealt with and the confusion can be removed by understanding that we're not yearning, seeking to be, or uh, 
setting as our mission to become the church. We, we are. We are the church, period. And so whether we align ecumenically or whatever the case is, is really a moot point. We'll leave that to the Lord. Our responsibility, our responsibility is to be a church as the church, and with that comes a ministry, and that's the re- remaining part. So I give you that as sort of as a, as a parenthetical statement here. Now look at the rest of this with me. What is, has God given to? What has Christ given to the church? Ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God. Now you pause there for just a second. And what might be encompassed in ministry, oracles, and ordinances? What, how may we understand what that summary means? <clears throat> okay, so that might fall under oracles. So we could say oracles, uh, which is another way of just simply saying uh, delivering what God has said. Uh, So that would be the Word of God. And again, we're going to get into that next Sunday in much, much greater detail. Uh, So what might ministry include? Could. Could involve the use of, of people's spiritual gifts. I would say that's certainly part of it. Okay, preaching of the Word. We'll probably uh, include that in ministry as well as oracles. Yes. Okay, so active involvement of, of, of the church. The church is not, not passive, but, but active. You, as J.D. said, using our, our gifts that God has given us. What else comes to mind? Well, the point is, in general, is that the church is active. We are not, and this is so contrary to to modern thought, we are not consumers. We don't come to a church service on a Sunday morning as if we're going shopping for a new mattress. We are the church. Now, there are certain aspects of being the church that are indeed undoubtedly specific to a day. We know that the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, is the day that we assemble. We come together as the church. But that doesn't mean that that's all we do. We are to be active um, Judy, uh, Julie gave the example of, of, of the church going out and sharing the gospel. Um, I know many of you are in, involved in mercy ministries, so forth and so on. Uh, we, could, we could be here for hours talking about all the different ways that we are to be a church. But the point is, is that as a church, collectively, we are to be active. Ministry means action. And it means involvement. It never means passivity. And it certainly never means merely consumption. 
So you have ministry, you have oracles which pertain to what God has said and conveying of that, and then you have ordinances. And we've already talked about this, haven't we? Uh, what, what would we, we consider under the ordinances of God? And what is an ordinance? We're already told this in the Westminster Standards, aren't we? What are, what's an ordinance? What, what, what Christ has commanded that His church is to do, right? And we would include within the ordinances what? And the sacraments, wouldn't we? The sacraments certainly are, uh, are an ordinance. We think about it this way. Then the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, the general idea there is that Christ has, in fact, given His church commands. He has given us ordinances uh, that we are to be faithful to. And Ephesians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 11, "...and He gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, action, activity. We are not a passive group of consumers that assemble for one hour on Sunday morning, but for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, which we understand to be in the end, when the Lord returns and the new heavens and new earth. Then, in chapter 25.3, it goes from telling us about ministry, or what's been given of ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God, and then it goes into purpose for the gathering and perfecting of the saints. When? In this life, right? So the, the, the purpose, one of the points of the ministry, the oracles, and the ordinances that Christ has given His church is for gathering. So when, when do we primarily gather as a local church? Yes, Sunday mornings. Um, could we gather other times of the week? We, we certainly could, uh, but our, our primary time of, of gathering is on Sunday mornings. And so we, we gather together, and so also God, Christ uses His ministry, oracles, and ordinances in that. And then the perfecting of the saints. And what is meant by perfecting of the saints? Any of you that have gone ahead and just reached perfection already, could you elaborate on what this... No, I'm kidding. That nobody will answer, right? So, what, what what's meant by perfecting of the saints? That's right. Yeah. So, if you couldn't hear Hilda, what she said was, "Is that's just describing what we would refer to theologically as sanctification." Is our sanctification. The idea there comes from the the Greek word teleos, which can mean completion. But it can also mean perfection. It can mean the idea that, that you're on a journey and you, you reach the end. That's the conclusion of that journey, uh, so to speak. And, and what the, the Westminster Assembly is drawing on here is to say that it's not perfection. No one has reached perfection yet, but we are in the process of being perfected. 
And isn't that a beautiful way to think about it? Because oftentimes I feel like my sanctification is one step forward and three steps back. Um, But even then, even then, the Holy Spirit is at work in you and in me. And the idea that He is conforming me to the image of Christ is a process of being perfected. That's a beautiful thing to think about, the perfecting of the saints. And as I said, when, is the, when does this take place? In this life. So that's, this is it. Cradle to grave, we might say. And what? To the end of the world. Why that addition? Because, to be clear, this is the way that God has created it. This is the way that Christ has purposed it. And there's not going to be a change. No change. There's not going to be something that comes along and and somebody says, you're not going to believe this. But there's a dude out in the woods. Claims he's got some golden tablets. Hadn't seen these yet. But this angel named Moron gave him these golden tablets. It's coming. You're not going to, it's going to change the world. Everything you've ever thought about, about God is getting ready to change. Why don't you come be a part of this? Yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm to pass on that. John, there's this new movement. There's this new movement going on. And if, if only you could just buy into this new movement. It's something we've never known about before. Huh? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that God has given us everything that we need. We don't need a new religion. We don't need a new movement. What we need, brothers and sisters in Christ, and now I just stepped up on my soapbox, didn't I? We need obedience. We, we, we don't need something new and newfangled. We just need obedience to the ordinary means of grace. And, uh, and, and so, what the, the, so refreshingly, what the Westminster Assembly is describing here is that we have it. We have it in the church. We don't need to invent something new or create something different. There's no new strategies to come forth, but rather God has given us the ministry, the oracles, the ordinances of God for the gathering, for the perfecting in this life to the end. All the way to the end, nothing new, and doth by His own presence and Spirit, according to His promise, make them effectual thereunto. Why that last clause? Why is it important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is involved, and I might add is to be involved, in the ministry, oracles, and and ordinances of God within the church? Why is that important? All right. Nothing happens apart from the Holy Spirit, meaning within this ministry, right? Yeah, and what do we mean by effectual or you use the word efficacious? What do we mean by that? Yeah, I mean, could, could, could an unbeliever, uh, could an unbeliever seek to preach? from the Bible and uh, the Holy Spirit not use that preaching? Is that, is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. 
It's possible. Is it, is it possible that someone could believe that when the Lord's Supper is administered, that it's actually the elements themselves and not the presence of the Holy Spirit that is alive and active? That, that the wine is literally, physically the blood, and the bread is literally and physically the body. Is that possible that someone could believe that? Yeah, that they could believe it? Sure, they could believe it. Does it make it literally the body and blood of Christ? No, it, it doesn't, does it? And there are a myriad of other examples that we could give, but what the assembly is getting at is this, is that there can be false ministry, and there can be false teaching. See also John, first John, first, second, and third John. There can be false teaching. There can be false preaching. There can be all sorts of uh, uh, you know false use of ministry within the in the church. But as the Holy Spirit is present, that ministry and the oracles and the ordinances of God become effective. They are alive and active by virtue and only by virtue of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the, that's the qualification uh, they're giving there. So what is the ministry of the visible church? Well, it's summarized here, but, but it, we might in our own vernacular uh, say, well, the ministry of the, the, the church, visible, that is universal and also local, is to be involved in the ministry that Christ has given us, is to be involved in the ministry of the Word. It is to be involved in the ministry of the ordinances that Christ has given us. It is to be faithful together. It is to be faithful to this, whatever the case and whatever the world is saying, to the end, by God's grace, through the presence of His Holy Spirit, forever and to the end. So, that leads to the second question. Does this mean that the visible church is always locally present and pure? Now think about it just a second. I want to play the devil's advocate. But i got to think that if there's something as important as the ministry, the oracles, and the ordinances of the church, I would think that God would want to use a pure vehicle, a pure vessel to convey that, wouldn't you? I mean, it just makes logical sense. Hmm. But you say, well, I'm, I'm old enough to have had a church membership before, right? I, I know there isn't. We'll look at this answer in chapter 25.4. This Catholic church hath been sometimes more, sometimes less visible. Now pause there for just a second. What does that mean? Before we go into the purity of the church, what does it mean sometimes more, sometimes less visible? I mean, there's sometimes uh, where uh, you can have a, a period of, of time, like uh, my friend that's a, a pastor in, in Glasgow, Scotland, and there was a, a time where there was a church almost seemingly on every corner in, in Glasgow, and those churches were filled every Lord's Day, and the, 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 the Word of God was preached, and the sacraments administered, and it was a faithful time. And, and now, uh, my, my, my brother in Christ, they just had to evacuate the church building that they were in uh, because, A, it was owned by the government, and it was crumbling down upon them. 
and they couldn't, couldn't stay in it because it was in such bad shape. And so they were able to go down and meet at, at a local sister church. But, but even now, one of the ministries is to train up uh, young men uh, for the ministry. And, and it's hard sledding because there just aren't that many eligible candidates. It's just heartbreaking. And even when they find an eligible candidate, it takes a while to be able to train them. And then, are there even going to be enough people to go to a new church plant? Now, in God's gracious provision, uh, churches are being planted in places like Glasgow and other places around the world. But we know that sometimes, sometimes the church is more visible. Sometimes you wonder... Is it even here at all? No. <clears throat> ah, great point. Could be, yeah. Be illegal for, for, for a visible church to, to, to meet. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, underground. Yeah, that, that's a great example as well. It goes on to say, and particular churches... All right, now we'll pause here. This is just a little Presbyterian terminology for you. Um, no additional charge for this trivia. Uh, what does the word particular mean as it's used in the Westminster Standards? Specific? You, you, I, I'm really excited to teach you this. It means local. So when it says here that and particular churches, it, it means local churches. So for example, this is more Presbyterian trivia. No additional charge for this either. When, uh, when, you, when you are a church plant like we were in 2012, and then you become a particular church, which we became in 2013, it's called, and I kid you not, it's called particularization. How they came up with that, you know, well, where did they come up with it? Well, they came up with it from the Westminster uh, Confession. But the idea here is we're talking about this particular church, this local church. And so local churches, which are members thereof, are more or less pure, according as the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, ordinances administered, and public worship performed more or less purely in them. So, in answer to the question, does this mean that the visible church is always locally present? The answer is no. And are, is it also pure? The answer is no to that as well. But, did you note inside of this statement within the confession, it tells us, what the definition of a pure church is. Look at this with me. What, how, how would you define a pure church according to the Westminster Confession? Well, one of them is, is according to the doctrine of the gospel taught. There's several things there, isn't there? Yeah. And embraced. 
What's this mean? Yeah, and it, and it, it is the truth, it is the doctrine, the teaching of that gospel, the doctrine of the, 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 the theology, if you will, the belief, the understanding of that gospel is taught. And so we could stop there for just a second, couldn't we? If, if the truth of the gospel, and we might, we might even add to this, is that the theology that flows from the true gospel of Jesus Christ, because I think that's the inference here uh, with the addition of, of doctrine, if that is not being taught in a church according to the Westminster Standards and according to our understanding, then it's not a pure church. Right? So if you think about it this way, if we're just going to do sort of a self-examination, if you say, well, I, I really want to be involved. I know this church isn't perfect, but I want to be involved in a church uh, that is, is seeking to be faithful to God and, and seeking to be a pure church. Well, what would be one of the first things that you would want to look for if you're, you're looking around for church membership, for example? Preaching of the gospel. Solid teaching in the church. If you miss that, then wrong church. Yeah. So we, we, we again, and I, I realize I'm on on video here, and I'm not slamming other churches, but that's sort of that's a that's a, a low threshold right there. You got to be teaching the truth of the gospel. You got to be preaching the word of God, and it needs to be secondly not only taught but what. Believed. It needs to be embraced is the word that they, they use here. And the idea here is that, that a, a preacher can stand up in a church and can teach and preach sound doctrine, preach the gospel every Sunday, but if nobody believes what is being preached, big problem, right? And sometimes the, the, the size of a church is determined uh, not by the programs or strategies or outreach or all of these sort of things. Sometimes it's dictated by what is, is preached. And um, i got to give you this. this I'm, I know we're, we're running out of time, but i got to give you this story. Is, this was years ago, and, um, but we, uh, certain folks had been invited uh, to, to come to church here. And um, I'm, I, I, they're, they're not, not believers and uh, had really been hopeful they would come, hear the gospel, be a part of it, so forth and so on. And um, uh, so the service is going on, and I'm, I mean, I'm just praying through the whole, whole service. And when, <laughs> when the uh, benediction came at the end of the service, it was like, you remember in the, the cartoons um, of Roadrunner where his feet are going so fast that they're just circles? It was like Roadrunner for the back door. Got to get out of here. Got to get to that back door as fast as possible. It was so strikingly fast that I was laughing to myself. Now, I'm, I'm crying inside, but I'm like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen, is that, that they were so ready to get out of this church, and never came back, I might add, uh, that they were like roadrunner uh, to get out of here. And so sometimes the, the, the Lord works in this way, doesn't He? Uh, in terms of those who do not have ears to hear, if the church is teaching it, and if the church is embracing it, then those who don't have ears to hear, well, they don't feel welcome in it. 
The second part of this is what? Yeah, the ordinances. We're to be faithful, for example, in the sacraments, to administer baptism, to celebrate or observe, as we say, the Lord's Supper, and so on. And so we are to be faithful to the ordinances that Christ has given. And you note here that they use the word ordinances administered. Now, the confession is going to go into greater detail on who can administer, so forth and so on. We're not going to get into that today because we'll get into it later. Uh, But the point is to be faithful to the ordinances. And then finally, what? Public worship. Did you see that coming? Because they haven't dealt with that in points 1, 2, or 3 in this chapter 25. And yet, public worship is a key part of the church. All of chapter 25 is about the church. To a certain extent, this comes out of nowhere, but it really doesn't, does it? Because to be faithful as a church, to be a pure church, you have to be assembling, and you have to be assembling for the Word of God to be taught, to be preached. You have to be assembling for the sacraments to be administered. You have to be assembling for so forth and so on in terms of the the ordinances. And so the idea of this is, is that this is what we are to strive to be as we seek and desire to be a pure, particular church. Does this mean? Yes. In terms of the mark of the church, yes. Yeah, and they're actually going to get into that um, and touch on that where they list out the, those, what we typically refer to as the marks of the church, which is word, sacrament, and church discipline. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, Don. Church ordinances could, I mean, church discipline could very well fall underneath that, Greg, under ordinances, because Christ does uh, give clear commands uh, early, for example, if we use the Gospel of Matthew as a template, uh, fairly early in the Gospels falls under the commands of Christ. That's good. The last question for us to consider with the little bit of time that we have, uh, does this mean that the visible church is perfect? And the answer, of course, is no. Point five, the purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error. And some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. (laughs) One of my favorite expressions uh, in the confession. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to His will. And there are a number of things uh, for us to to think about in the way that that is is described. Uh, First of all, we need to understand uh, the old joke uh, that goes something like this, uh, is that um, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll run it. Um, Yeah, so you feel free to use that. Uh, But but the general idea is that uh, there is indeed a mixture of of uh, purity 
and, and error. And we'll pause here for just a second. Why, why is that? Why, why is it that there's no truly, perfectly pure, visible church? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you can be a church of two people, right? Jesus said, we're two or more are gathered in my name. Two people. And you got problems, right? Because you got two sinners together. So there's, there's always going to be this, this mixture. There's always going to be uh, error. But in faithfulness to what's described here in terms of being a pure, visible church and striving to be that, to be faithful to God's Word in ministry, oracles, and ordinances, what we don't want to see is what's described in the remainder of this, where error creeps in and eventually, well, to put it in modern vernacular, eventually the church doesn't even become, a, become about Christ at all. And, and, and we're unfortunately seeing this in the era in which we live, where there, there are gatherings, but there's no gospel. Uh, there is assembly, but there's no teaching and preaching of the truth of God's Word. Uh, there are people coming together on certain days of the week, and yet the, the, the sacraments are either not administered or they're abused or misused and so forth. And, and again, the, the idea here is that it's a slippery slope. And once you begin to move down that, uh, as it describes here, you can go from degeneration all the way to becoming a synagogue of Satan. Nevertheless, there will always be a church on earth, and this is a good place for us to continue. Because I hear, for example, in the uh, American discussion on, in regards to the church, and sometimes there is um, a sense of, of lamentation that sounds hopeless, that sounds as if that we are degenerating as a society uh, whereby uh, we may be a, a country with, without the presence of a church at some point in the future. And to be clear, um, I, I would join with you in that lamentation, and certainly there are concerns, but just because there is a decline does not mean that there is not a presence elsewhere. And that's something we have to remember. And this is a mystery a number of people have studied this, and it is a fascinating thing. Why does, I mean, for example, uh, why does the Holy Spirit move the way that He did in the, the Great Awakening in the United States and partly in, in Great Britain in the 18th century? Why, why did that happen? Why is that not happening today? Could that happen today? It, it, it could, un, un, undoubtedly. And it's all up to God. And so we don't know, but we know this, and it's a, it's a point of uncertainty. What did Jesus tell, tell Nicodemus about the wind? Wherever it wants. And what do we know about the Greek word that's translated wind there? It's the same word as the Spirit. It's a double play on words. It's the Greek word pneumos, wind, pneumos, spirit. And, and Jesus is, is, is a little play on words with Nicodemus to say is that the wind blows, the spirit moves, and we know not 
when or how, nor can we manufacture it, nor can we uh, predict it. But here's what we can do. We can seek to be faithful in the doctrine of the gospel taught and embraced as a, local, as a particular church. We can be faithful that the ordinances are administered in a particular church. We can be faithful to assemble in public worship as a particular church. We'll let the Spirit's work move as He pleases, but we know that He is presence in the assembly of His people. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, we do thank you for this teaching. And it is our desire as a particular church to be a pure and faithful church. We desire to be a church who indeed does teach and preach and believe the truth of your gospel. We pray that you would help us to be faithful in your ordinances. And so also be faithful to a people who assemble every Lord's Day. We pray now on this Lord's Day, as we have the high privilege of assembling as your people in worship, we pray that you will bless our time of worship. May you be exalted. May God be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.